You have the one large now. Granted, she was which of the waste villain character? But you have the large who is like literally a bathtub of sweat mm-hmm. um, as she's going up the stairs. What is it with Miyazaki and extremely cellulite eroded people? <laughs> the yeah. moment he um, goes back to the castle and he's taking off his boots, I literally was like, oh man, it's just a, another long day of anime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yes, that is perfect. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the Hayao Miyazaki film, which is Howl's Moving Castle. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 153 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman. Thank you. Along with Nick Cheney. I did not say you're welcome. Okay. Usually that goes after thank you, but that's okay. true. Hmm? But so you what, just you, what, you technically okay. did what say. What were you it. thinking though? Let's let's hmm? be clear about this. What were you thinking? Oh, I was just just thanking the audience for being here. They're not here. Okay, they've never been here. I was going to say we and don't have never a very going big. To be no, here. we don't have a very big audience. We're just doing this for ourselves. Really. Then they can fit in the studio. Tucson also yeah. here. Thank you. Hey. Yeah. Now that I get, mm-hmm. that just makes sense. Okay, but what you did. Doesn't. It was a goddamn disgrace. Thank you. Really bringing the positive energy to the forefront here. Thank you. <laughs> That's how this guy rolls. What a piece of shit. Thank you. So, uh, today we are taking uh, a trip down a different road than we previously had on this podcast. Mm-hmm. As we are going to, uh, some would say finally, others would not, talk about <laughs> an anime feature. I never thought this day would come. I know. And I will say, I am the one who brought this up. Yeah. Which is even more surprising. Yeah. Every now and then I try to throw you guys a bone. Yeah. It's true. I drag you to a lot of superhero movies. I'm waiting for the day. Maybe it's going to be like like episode 260 something where randomly (laughs) Alex will be like, Nick, what uh, 70s porno film do you want to watch? And I'll be like, oh my My God. God. Yeah, that was pretty much my reaction when uh, when Alex like suggested this film. I'm just like, let's not overreact. Yeah, let's just no, like, no, no. let's Keep just cool. Let's just yeah, yeah. Just, Don't show up my boner. Just, no, just 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 yeah, 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 just, just, just let's just backs away. Let's, from the let's table. just watch this movie. Let's, that yeah. sounds good. No, um, so uh, it does seem to make sense that we are discussing a Hayao Miyazaki film mm-hmm. as he is. Uh, Probably the most prominent anime director mainstream-wise? He in is, film. He's, in film? Yeah. yeah. Hayao Miyazaki is probably, not even just in film, but he is probably one of the most... I just meant I always feel you, like there's a uh, a goalie between the discourse of anime television and anime film. Often, though, that, that entire not, discourse when it comes to the mainstream is just conflated 
yeah. into the into the one, and then Hayao Miyazaki sort of just becomes the shorthand yeah. because of not only the quality of his films. Like I, I think that his films are honestly some of the best that has been contributed to the medium of Japanese animation, but also because of the time in which they came out and the fact that his company was able to enter into a distribution yeah. deal with Walt Disney at the outset of that that entire studio, which is what contributed to how prolific that those films are across like the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. I mean before I got into film criticism right. and before I got into watching as many films as I do, mm-hmm. um, I had heard and known about Hayao Miyazaki. And what? as somebody who does not like Japanese Anime. animation, right. um, that speaks to him yeah. and, his, and his studio. So. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the film we are going to be talking about is Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. And before we get into talking about this specific film, uh, Toussaint, who is the resident anime Super fan. Yeah. Um, Says so on his shirt. Yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm wearing a white button-up shirt. Thanks for ruining my fucking joke, too. Son. Yeah, I'm sure. happy to ruin your fucking joke because I would never wear something so gaudy as that. <laughs> would you? No, I wouldn't. Uh, Nick, I know you do partake and quite enjoy certain anime. Um, I do, but you're not like a. It's almost exclusively television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. whenever me and Toussaint talk about uh, anime that I've been watching, it's always a series rather than a feature film. And yeah. I have thoughts on that as to why I gravitate towards that. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I'm more oriented um, around uh, animated film, just because I've watched so much yeah. and like Japanese anime film. But I also really do enjoy uh, sequential, serialized like storytelling anime as well. So, all that being said, um, a why do you like anime? Mm-hmm. I guess, and that's a really broad question. That's yeah. But the second part of that is, um, what about Miyazaki and uh, his creations with, with the films that he has? Mm-hmm. Um, has kept you feeling the way you do about that these films are just beautiful works and not necessarily just good anime films. Well, I'll, I'll sort of um, I'll start with the first question mm-hmm. because I think that for me at least, anime is one of the most versatile mediums of visual storytelling ever created. And I say that as a medium; it's not a genre because Japanese animation is just like any any form of animation it's, it's it's very interesting to sort of like see how the conceptualization of Japanese animation specifically as a cultural property has evolved since uh, the sort of the dawn of globalization of like these sort of animated films moving outside of their original intended enclosed audience of Japanese viewers and more to like western audience tastes and more so over seeing how they've been dubbed and subsequently transformed through their dubbing because of that i just think that it is a wildly versatile and amorphous and 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 creative and and just one of the most explosively inventive mediums i've ever like witnessed and it's like anime the conception of what it is is so far removed from where it was in the 1980s and the 1970s um, stretching all the way back to like 1945 with Momotaro Umino Shimpai, which was a propaganda film, like for its time, that was the first like Japanese animated feature that was a propaganda film during World War II. So it's 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 um, I, I I love animation in general, but Japanese animation has always just 
really um, honed in for me just because I love the storylines. I love the fact that it's taken like sort of a, a, a parallel universe divergence from Western animation in some respects because I feel like more animators were given the license or at least seized upon the opportunity to tell more mature adolescent and, and adult focused um, stories that allowed for a, a, a broader diversity of audiences to be able to, to sort of like see themselves in it. And I think like that's what lends to what is distinct about that both aesthetically and why there is such a, a, a passionate audience both at home in Japan and abroad across that. Also, I was going to say, based on what you're saying, I also think that anime in general, what you just said, goes in the face of what I think the surface perception of anime is. Like, for people who don't really watch it uh, on any consistent basis, I I could understand how someone could basically see it as a very uh, homogenous thing in which you think it's just a collection of a, a... checklist of tropes mm-hmm. of of either uh, either very kitschy tropes or like gross fetishization yeah. and stuff yes. like that and and that's part of the reason why i'm such a like a passionate anime evangelist because i am someone i have seen a lot of what can be considered canonical anime films i've watched and written about yeah. a lot of them and I'm the type of person that if I you really quick, I'm gonna plug something. Oh. You co-authored uh, a recent list for Pace.com, yeah. didn't you? Yes, I Which did. Which was the top 100, top 100 um, anime films of all time of with, all time with with Jason and Marco. Now, so I, you heard it here. Yeah. It, well, that list. Don't you dare be modest, well, you son of a bitch. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, pro- I'm proud of that list. Um, looking back on it, would can I, I? Can I just? jump in yeah i did not know about this oh yeah is house moving castle on that list yes it is hey can you tell us where it is on the list do you know um where it is on the i list? can't remember specifically what like, what the position of it is, is it, it is like one it, no it's definitely it, in the the upper half of it because okay, i think okay. like it just it exists yeah and, and the, that's how, all. How, I'm, I'm, first of all number one was akira right yes yeah, so okay akira. so i'm 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 sorry I'm totally derailing your no. what you're saying but i'm, I'm intrigued now yeah so fuck this guy um Boy, when you're writing something like that, like it's easy for me to like rank my like films, mm-hmm. but how do you how do you decide what should be 14 and what should be 15? That's the like, that's that's probably one of the biggest contentions with that list and that people I mean, if you wrote that list today, if it I, would be a different order. It would be it would right. it would be a different order that's what and, people need and to understand I about would, content on the internet. Yeah, and and yeah. having like grown and look back on it it's like i am proud of all of the writing that i did for each of those individual categorizations the one thing that i would have gone back and changed if i could would be to sort of better better state explicitly what were the criterias for what they were actually ranked because the way that they are positioned now people go off of the base assumption that i'm saying that this film is better than that film better than this film better than that film and i i can say that it doesn't it, all live in a vacuum. It doesn't all live in a vacuum. It's not a perfect science. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I could do it again, I would probably refine it. But probably get rid of all the hentai films. There are no hentai films on there. Only the top oh, ninety nine. Yeah, there are no hentai and films Howl's on Moving there. Castle. Um, I'm thinking of a different one. I read. <laughs> what I what I sort of look back on it as with with sort of a a 
warts and all in, in, in the case of like ranking of whatever that it is, like it's not just my list, it's also Jason DeMarco's yeah. list, yeah. who is the I said co author. Yeah, who is who is the um the co founder of Toonami and one of the executive co producers of Adult Swim. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. And it it's That's awesome. It's yeah, yeah, it it, it was a, a really humbling opportunity to be able to work with somebody who in no small way is part of the reason why I watch anime. I was gonna say and why I would say the entire Western, yeah, uh, yeah, civilization yeah. watches anime. Yeah, so I'm proud to say that that is both mine and his list. I could not have done it without him, and I feel it's a, it's a better list for for what it is. Um, going back, ro- roping back a little bit to the initial question, it's just like I count myself as an evangelist for anime because when I come up with somebody who says, um. Like I, I have a, have a colleague, a friend on Twitter named Amanda, who was just like, I don't like Ghost in the Shell. I've watched it, I've tried to watch it multiple times. And I ended up like falling asleep. And you know what my response is? Like, it's not for everybody. And it's like Tucson, you are like the most chill person when it comes to like <laughs> me not liking anime. Just in, I mostly tiptoe around. Just in general, how I feel about Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, because of how much you love it. I know, and because of how little I have against it. Right, like, it's right. Not so much that I it's dislike not a, it. Yeah, but every time I watch it, I'm like, I, there's just I, I have to go one more step before right. I can truly. Yeah. So maybe but, I'll rewatch it. But but the, but the thing about it is, is that I really honestly don't think that it is for everyone. Like that's that's fine. I I subscribe to the attitude that it's not about somebody liking the right anime film. I believe that there is at least for every person, for as diverse and 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 wide and multifaceted as anime is, there has to be at least one anime for somebody. Yeah, there's one, and you may not even like know what it is. I guarantee there's at least one. I want to piggyback off of that yeah. and just say as to someone who's not as into anime yeah. as Toussaint, but probably is more into it than Alex. That would probably be <laughs> Not accurate. that that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is what I like about anime. Right. Every time I've wanted to get into a new anime show, and that's really where my bread and butter is, mm-hmm. is just trying to find a series. Right. Because for whatever reason, animation, not anime, but just animation in general, I, I do better with uh television version of it because I, I like it better when it's in a concentrated form. Mm-hmm. So if like the episode's over, then I'm done with it and can pick it back up when I want to. Right. Whereas for whatever reason, it just doesn't always keep me from start to end if it's a 90 to 100 minute feature. That's fair. Whatever. But one thing that I absolutely love about the medium is that anime is not just... It, it, it is a. It's wrong to call it a genre, not just because it's like factually wrong, mm-hmm. but because it's so antithetical to the fact that there are genres that exist within anime, and not just like that are action, anime. romance, comedy. But right. I mean, like, there is an entire genre devoted to sports anime, and to like, it is insane of the microcosms that exist within each. And there are, from what I've talked to, because at my own library we have an anime club, and I've mm-hmm. talked to the you know the otaku that come. I don't. To the... I do not. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I, I, I do not. I, I do not subscribe to that that title in and of itself. Yeah. No, but um, for the kids who come, and it's so funny when I hear them talk about what they like and and how they say like they're like they're here at anime club and yet they're watching Yuri on Ice mm-hmm. and like nothing else. Like it's 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 what they like 
and then there's nothing. And I'm I, I think that's totally fine because every time I ever try to discover a new anime, mm-hmm. it's always me trying to type in something to Google because I'll know that a uh, a live action TV show mm-hmm. of it will not exist because no one wants to fuck with like quantum physics right. or whatever. So I'm like, I bet there's an anime that's covered that. Yeah. And sure enough, there are you know Steins Gate or mm-hmm. um, Noine and yeah. a few other whatever. So that's what's that's why I still think people need to try anime by simply going onto Google, Google what you like. If you if you want boxing, there's a boxing anime. Yeah, there's, there's lots, a really good one actually. There's actually a really good one that's airing right now yeah. that I, I really enjoy. Megalobox is great. So it's just crazy. But um I know I'm trying trying to trying to sum this up because you did ask about about Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I think my argument for sort of the primacy of Hayao Miyazaki when it comes to a perceived canon of anime, and that's one of the reasons when you're talking about with the kids at your anime club who are talking about Yuri on Ice, the idea to of – call the taco. Sure. Um, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, the thing about the idea of canonicity is that it's always going to be – they are very passionate fans yeah. of anime. They are very passionate fans and, and – this, we... this, I'm not kidding when I say we showed your name at a mm-hmm. uh, previous meeting. Yeah. And I'm talking like the entire room was crying. Yeah. And I thought it yeah. was hilarious. Yeah. Not because that's a bad movie right. or that you shouldn't cry at yeah. your right. name. Right. But because there is like nothing like getting a group of these people, myself included, right, right. in that Who and can... just like springing that on them. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's just really unsettling sometimes. Yeah. But Pat it, myself in the back for getting that for Tucson for Christmas. Yes. Yeah, thank you, you so much. Yeah. It, it was a really good movie. I enjoyed that. We should watch it sometime. Yes, we should. Um, the idea of canonicity is going to depend on where you actually entered into it. It's like I started out in the early to mid 90s. The kind of shows and the kind of films that I was watching back then are going to inform my framework versus kids who are coming up nowadays yeah. who. Are they? They don't have as concentrated of a of a focal point of just watching tsunami after school all the time. They have so many different streaming services, so many different forms of anime that are coming at yep. that their their idea, their palette is going to be very different than mine. And that's why I try to keep up on stuff. And in this day and age, it seems like, and I'm not saying this in a literal sense, yeah. but it seems like more people it, anime has become like Dungeons and Dragons in the sense yeah. that. More people get turned on to anime through word of mouth, right? Rather than just like obviously flipping channels mm-hmm. and, and being able to just accidentally discover yeah. it. Um, and so, of course, that's all going to be dependent on where you live, who mm-hmm. you're friends with. And but that's why I'm saying to anybody who's listening to this who maybe hasn't tried it, mm-hmm. here consider this your word of mouth. Right. Uh, just go find something that looks interesting it's, and try it. It boggles my mind when I hear about like younger kids who are anime fans that have never seen Cowboy Bebop. That yeah. just is, is one of those things where it was like, how can you have not have seen that? But then I realized like, well, they didn't come up in the same time period as I did. And- it's, it's becoming like the Wizard of Oz where yeah. you think it's synonymous with like all of pop culture yeah. in, in that subsection. But then that de- that, yet- that demands a self-awareness to, to understand that this is a quality that is intrinsic to the very like evolution of anime as a cultural property anyway tying back to miyazaki really quickly yeah because yeah. <clears throat> i was going to bring this up yeah um, 
the film I thought most about while watching Howl's Moving Castle was The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, definitely. I can so, see that. I will try to rope that back during my review, but please do. I had kind of forgotten about it, but you just said that, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. That's why I yeah. said so, it. Yeah. My so, all the time. Back to Miyazaki with Tucson. To tie it, tie it all up, the reason why I would argue for Miyazaki's, like primacy as as with with his entire over his entire body of work as it exists to the canon if you will of anime is not only for the quality of the films that came out during his time he was able to make children's films that were deeply affecting that addressed adult themes that did not talk down to their audience that espoused clear like ideological stances such as environmentalism such as um, war, war, and it's like the, the 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 value of friendship and empathy, the value of of communing with nature, and like just just simply like indulging and having a having a zeal for life in, in general, and also um, without having to to sort of without without sort of making an explicit statement about it, centering young female characters as agents of their own choice and of their contribution in in like helping push the world forward. If I can uh, bring this in about Miyazaki, yeah. something that yeah. I've always kind of thought but never really like had a passion feeling about until mm-hmm. I saw this film, which this is now the third film of Miyazaki's that I've seen, and now I really strongly feel that something that is really a high point of his particular film, and this may be a broader anime thing that I just don't know about because yeah. I don't watch a lot of yeah. it. But the idea that it's not just creating creatures within this world, it's creating creatures that feel familiar, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily making... I mean, he makes the creatures interesting, but also plausible. Yeah. Every time yeah. you see something... I, 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 think we, I think I know what you're saying, which is when you see one of them pop up on screen... Instead of, I would say, in a, in a lesser hand, you would see what he's doing and then start to question everything about it. Like, okay, what are the rules of this right. inkblot, you know, servants mm-hmm. or whatever? Whereas he always does it in such a naturalistic way that it feels grounded on arrival yeah. mm-hmm. to the point where you just accept it, which is basically a magic trick. Right. Which, which, because in this film we have... We have the fire. We have Calcifer. I'll, I'll call as a creature because that's like a mythical yeah. character in mm-hmm. the in the film. You have turn a uh, pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, Howl himself, mm-hmm. who is is basically a creature in the way. Oh. And then you have the uh, you have the dog character, which has the very little legs, uh, and yeah. I thought it was just delightful. And I also couldn't stop thinking about how I thought he was Black Philip. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, and uh, arguably the castle itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. But especially going back to Ponyo, and I know that there's a lot more of, of the creatures uh, in Spirited Away mm-hmm. as well. But the idea that it makes them feel, they feel so much more real to me than things I would see in other animated films necessarily. Yeah. that are like, here's these weird creatures that I'm making more weird because it's new. Where it's like, no, you don't really have to do that. Mm. You just have to make them good. Like, it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I was a little all over the place there. Sorry, no. I no. totally just it, it, sidetracked To be honest, so are Miyazaki films. He knows how to um, 
create those characters that are both extraordinary and benign at the same time and create that sort of plausibility to them. But at the same time, he also knows how to indulge in the grotesque selectively when it comes to sort of like necessarily like pushing people out of their comfort zone and sort of denoting fear. Like there's the one film he's created, uh, Porco Rosa, which I recommend. Um, that's basically about a uh, fighter pilot who has been cursed to basically he's an anthropomorphic pig. That anthropomorphic pig, the depiction of that is very starkly different than the anthropomorphic pigs in, say, Spirited Away. Like, from compare and contrast those those two and how their appearances are used respective to their own films, it's not just a one-note thing. There's a reason why and how they are actually used, and it shows his range and his, his knowledgeability of what he's actually doing with these characters. Yeah. yeah. Should we go into the movie? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. So, Howl's Moving Castle, to give you the, the old IMDb oh explanation. Oh, boy. Here we go. When an unconfident young woman, that's a great start. Isn't that all of them? Lord. Uh, is cursed uh, with an old body. By a, I would just stop there. <laughs> that's it. Lord. When an unconfident young woman is cursed with an old body by a spiteful witch. Her only chance of breaking the spell lies with a self-indulgent yet insecure young wizard and his companions in his legged walking castle. So, uh, the film, uh, directed and uh, written by Hayao Miyazaki, mm-hmm. uh, and for the uh, English dub version, we have some very interesting characters, including a female, Gene Simmons, uh, who's not the same Gene Simmons, but a much different Gene Simmons. Yep playing uh, the character of Sophie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howell is voiced by Christian Bale, yeah. which is just amazing. Yeah. Bryce, me and her are trying to work here, and you're fucking with the lights. Yeah. How dare you step in front of a fucking movie castle? You're done. You're, you're done, bro. You're done in this industry. <laughs> you're done. Uh, probably, I would say, the most surprising uh, voice in here, even more than Billy Crystal, is uh, <laughs> Lauren Bacall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have also like Blit Diner, mm-hmm. Emily Mortimer, uh, Jenna Malone, and randomly Josh Hutcherson doing yeah. a child's voice before he got sucked into <laughs> the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games, uh, and they, that other film he was in with um, uh, Mark Ruffalo and Annette Bening and Julianne Moore. The kids are all right. Yeah, and attention. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, those are the main voices uh, in this in the. American version of this yeah. film. Yeah. American English uh, spoken yeah. version of this film. Oh, the American flag is all over this movie. Yeah, you can bet on it. Yeah, no. Yep. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, Great. Should we go into final ratings? Yeah. <laughs> do you want me to go first? Yes, Since please. I'm, I'm, do it. I'm interested to... Let's yeah. go backwards. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. So, um, if you haven't caught on yet, I am not a fan of anime. That's fine. Um, I, I just have never been interested in, in watching it yeah. so um I'll, that being said um as my years have went on and i've tried to open up a little bit mm-hmm. to to see what other people like right um, i've given it chances here and there and for the most part um you know i i have not hated what i've seen yeah. uh now i think i've been shown things that people feel are good mm-hmm. so that's probably a good start i don't yeah. know if Good yeah, treat like, like going off the beaten path. No, right. no. Um, but I will say the uh, the television show that we watched multiple episodes of, I thought was quite entertaining. Oh, Death Parade! It's yeah, show. it's a perfect entry point. Twelve episodes, just 
Can I just say how proud I am that like you're the anime guru on this podcast, mm-hmm. and yet every once in a while I show you some random. Oh anime, yeah, and I'm like, I don't know how I do it, but I still got it. Yeah, you're really <laughs> because I barely watch anything. Yeah, you're, you're you've got a really solid track record of like introducing me to some really great shows. Like I love Bacano and I love Death Parade. Yeah. Like those are now two of my favorite series. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing for me about Death Parade was the connective tissue that went throughout the entire mm-hmm. anthology. Really, I mean, yeah. It's not a. I was gonna say it's know. a it's a anthology series as far as every episode has its own uh, story, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in between all that, right? Yeah. Without spending too much time on it, which right. is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I enjoyed that. Um. I, for the most part, I've enjoyed, even though I don't really care for Spirited Away. Yeah. I, I didn't hate it mm-hmm. necessarily. I just don't have the same critical praise for it that most people do. Right. But. Anime is not my sandbox. Yeah. Uh, I stand firmly away from it, and every I now and then, sand. yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, we arrive at this film, and uh, I, I've always, for some reason, been interested in seeing what this is. Uh, and I thought this was was a good film. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was overly great. Um, I think there are things about anime that I like that I don't necessarily know if. They were the intention, mm-hmm. um, but I still like them, and, I, and maybe that makes me not a great student of anime. Oh, but where? I mean, uh, I feel like a uh, the the artistic motifs that flow throughout, and also the very interesting language translation that goes throughout anime is is always interesting to me mm-hmm. because. This was a film that was not intended to be spoken in English, so when it is, it's it's even if it's perfectly translated and they change the things that don't make sense. It always comes with a, a degree of invention to it. Yeah, and um, it's just the the fact that you can you can change the words, but you cannot change the movements of the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes leads to very odd comical things that I don't know if they were the intent. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, what you're speaking of, too, is that e- even though like I'm completely with you in the sunset, not just the Miyazaki movies, but any anime, you get weird line readings when you get to when you go to dubs. Not mm-hmm. from the voice actors, but from like the fact that we don't always speak like that, but there's no other way to get that dialogue in that amount of time mm-hmm. and space and whatnot. But... I feel like what Miyazaki and why his dubs are pretty much universally praised uh, is because he's one of the most universal voices in anime, which is not to say that he ever sacrifices his regionality and specificity no. of Japanese culture and, yeah. and whatnot, but his characters are always drawn from an internal place that goes beyond yeah. uh, their nationality. What's What's interesting about Miyazaki is like when you're talking about he doesn't deny his regionality. Is like I would also agree with that. But what is one of the defining uh, sort of marks of his body of work is that the majority of his, and I think this actually contributes to why his films have been sort of like deemed as some of the most accessible to to Western audiences. Is because his um, settings are not always prefigured primarily in japan yeah but more so in a either in a idyllic alternate sort of post-war um suburban type of japan or in a more fantastical european style like yeah this felt way more like being in like 
like a weird meld between Japan, Paris, England. Oh, yeah. 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 There's, definitely, I, there's definitely a lot of uh, polyculturalism. Yeah. Say that uh, this movie in particular, compared to other Miyazaki films, most reminded not even reminded but most took me back to what it felt like to be a kid and mm-hmm. playing uh the legend of zelda series yeah which that entire franchise and especially the two n64 games mm-hmm. are so specifically from japanese culture mm-hmm. i mean you it is hard to extricate the that world and and those ideas and yeah. whatnot from that culture and yet due to the visualization of the creativity on display. It is a very it European, always, medieval yeah, sort It always of... transcends this where I'm a kid, so I think, yeah. oh, this must have been made by American people. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that like when I was like seven years right. old yeah. and playing it. Right. Um, and then now it's like as an adult, I can look at it and go, wow, that is so not American at yeah. all. And this is one of the few – Miyazaki, I think, in this in particular. Like there were moments when um, the camera, quote-unquote, would uh, pan through like the town hall. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of the extremely grounded uh, verisimilitude of a high rural plaza right. and little things like that where it just felt like no matter <clears throat> what brain this came from and what body they inhabited it in whatever land, uh, there is something so weirdly specific from this region and yet so universal about the vistas that are always on display. I, I think that part of what that is is not even exclusive to Miyazaki. It's just for what a, one of the things that Miyazaki is most known for um, and it comes to the forefront for him and his generation of animators because there has long been this very interesting sort of like cultural exchange and fusion when it comes to European and French artists and Japanese French like the, like Japanese artists where there was a prolonged correspondence between like the 1950s like onward through like the 1980s, which is like once you trace that. Once you, like, trace those lines, it's incredible not only to see sort of, like, the art that was yielded out of that uh, out, out of that time period, but the very fact that that happened in a time that preceded the internet. Yeah. And it, and it, and it seems like that generation of artists is still so closely knit to one another, it, like, as, as old as they are. It's, like, it's, it's, it's just... It, 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 it's it's magic almost and, like how the fuck did this happen and it's so against what i would say american animators do in general which is that american well animation or live it's action, very much a close we loop. we only apparently are interested in seeing american and mm-hmm. america on screen and if we are stepping outside of our own land mm-hmm. then we move into the land of fetishization or appropriation it's a very monocultural um perspective yeah because i'm thinking of something like uh like for example which is not a bad movie but you look at something like big hero six uh which is an american company it really it really every, san francisco Tokyo, yeah about? It, where it's it like really it, foregrounds it, the 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 sort of it kind of felt like West, Isle of Dogs. The Western, the the, the, the sort yeah. of Western gaze towards like a a, a isn't it cute? An imagined... what Tokyo looks like. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but I know. It, I know. I, I know what of, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah it yeah. reminded me of Isle of Dogs, where instead of just wanting to uh, to make a Japanese story, which if you're gonna look how that, quirky this is, yeah, it, it, it used that as like a window dressing, mm. and I'm not saying that. I mean, Big Hero 6 is a bad movie, but right. that's our typical go-to way of go- going outside of our own mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, 
the the, the feeling is is that Americans don't want to. Yeah. Right. Or we'll take their property altogether and put a white woman in it. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost in the Shell. Like. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was thinking Big Mama's house. <laughs> so uh, I don't have too many opening thoughts on this. Yeah. I mean, I probably just don't have that many huge thoughts in general. Yeah. Um, I thought that this was definitely enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that this had enough enough happening in between mm-hmm. uh, in between all of the stills to make it feel like an interesting film that warranted a two-hour runtime and warranted my attention for the entire two-hour runtime. Yeah. I mean, there's enough change in tone throughout and enough peaks and valleys and, and enough interesting dialogue, too, even though it uh, does have a, a dub to it. Mm. Um, there are some interesting moments that happen with uh, a lot of the characters and the, the way that they change is I feel like almost every single character in this film changes into something else at some point. Yeah. Even the kid who puts on a mask and plays a different role. Yeah. Turns into an old man. Yeah. Every single character has a, a dual persona. And yeah. I think it's uh, an interesting. Persona. Yeah. <laughs> you, love, you love that film, man. No, I'm talking. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm totally not whiffed refer- on that. Yeah, I'm referencing a very popular Japanese uh Video Ac- game? Action role playing game that's also an anime too. Yeah, I knew I knew exactly I knew exactly Every what he was talking about. I almost wish you let him roll with that. I was like, yeah, I'm talking about Igmar <laughs> Um I will say uh the the opening of this film, which uh feels eerily similar to the opening scene from V for Vendetta, mm-hmm. uh which, which I mean with like a roguish sort of um well the, vigilante esque like character. Well, I wouldn't the, say that that's what Hal I mean, is, but he's a He's a hero who rescues someone. I mean, the events play out almost exactly the same as the opening of yeah. Viva Vendetta, yeah. uh, which it has the same uncomfortable, what feels like a soon-to-be attempted rape. Yeah. Uh, or and- abduction. Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean. Abduction's pretty quaint compared to what they're going to do after the mm, abductor. Yeah. Well, they were talking about that one guy's mustache, and it, it might be a little off. tickly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I was just really thrown off by that because I guess I just wasn't expecting that. And it is very interesting that it has the same feel to that as it is as a film that has comments on war, mm-hmm. and, which obviously V for Vendetta has lots of political comments to yeah. it. Um, but it was pretty much verbatim the exact same scene, yeah. uh, which which I thought was pretty fascinating. Um, and it, it, it at least for me set the tone for the rest of the film mm-hmm. uh, for my expectations for what exactly this was going to be. And, and the nice thing about this film is that it, it really had plenty of whimsical fun throughout that it didn't never, it never got bogged down by the idea of, of what the ultimate message of the film was, yeah. which I think uh, is something that is great about Miyazaki mm-hmm. because he can get his message across, but yet, still make the audience feel like they got what they wanted to see out of it. Yeah. So it's, it never feels like an exposition dump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, overall, I was a fan and um, yeah, didn't love it, didn't hate it, but I thought it was a, a good film that was worth my time. Mm-hmm. So moving on to Nick. I have seen prior to this two Miyazaki films total, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny because I hold them into 
extremely high esteem, but I think that's mostly reflective of the fact that the two I've seen are, in my opinion, two masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Which is and his reputation precedes him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all fit after I yeah. watched those two movies because um, I've seen uh, My Neighbor Totoro, which mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorite movies, which is and one I've, of his best. Yeah. And I've seen Spirit of the Way, mm-hmm. which is not one of my all-time favorite movies, and yet it's also what I would consider like a perfect movie. Like, there's just nothing wrong. Those with Those are considered like top tier, if not the top tier, like yeah. Miyazaki film. It's hard to besides like, Princess Mononoke, which I feel like is the other Princess Mononoke, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind. Like yeah. those, those four. I think it's really hard, but and they constantly like bump each other off. Like, but it, it's it's definitely those four that have some of the most popularity. Oh yeah, yeah. And so I was excited to see something that I really knew extremely little about mm-hmm. uh, from him. And I got to say, I thought this was right down the middle. I yeah. enjoyed a lot of it. I thought the the animation was incredible. And I very much enjoyed the fact that this is so fantastical uh, throughout and yet never really sits down to explain no. any of it, which is not to say that I was waiting for it to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's always fun how in Miyazaki films, everything is a given. Yeah. You know, the, the flame talks because, of course, it does yeah. and, and so on and so forth. And or just, even if, if it is extraordinary, it is extraordinary through the eyes of the – audience surrogate who is the protagonist who is then yeah. introduced into this world. And yet, even though I didn't like this as much as some of his other two films right. that I've seen of his, um, one thing that I thought was unique was that our, our protagonist that we follow undergoes such a harrowing transformation, at first at least, mm-hmm. that um, I would be okay with her, shall we say, overreacting to mm-hmm. everything, and yet somehow that didn't happen and so therefore we got a much more weirdly grounded mm. uh tale on just having an off week i guess <laughs> um and I, and i liked it all the more because of that like i, yeah. I like the fact that there's a yeah. lot of scenes of these characters just interacting with each other inside uh the castle itself mm-hmm. uh you know the breakfast scene and and a few other random things and i i just that's what i mostly love about uh Billy Crystal, the sound he's making when eating the eggshell. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, he's really having fun. He sure is. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I very much enjoy that. I think what separates it for me from his higher works mm. is that I didn't personally feel the same vulnerability mm-hmm. that I get from uh, those other two works that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, because I thought this was more... Uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned The Wizard of Oz. Well, I mentioned it first, and then it reminded you of what you thought of, mm-hmm. which is that I, I agree with you because I think like that, this is more fabulistic and more about the journey one takes and not so much focused on the emotions because you look at something like Spirited Away, and that is extremely surreal, extremely indulgent. I mean, you go through a lot of shit in that movie, right. and yet – Everybody walks away from that movie, who loves it at least, mm. remembering the extremely tranquil uh, ride on the um, – On the train. On the train. Yeah, and, to the outskirts of the – And, uh, and how that completely zeroes in on that character's feelings mm. before she got sucked into that world yeah. of moving to a new place and trying to find a center of balance. Just the surreality of, of one's surroundings, especially with all the other ghosts that are on yes. that train. And they're not doing anything extraordinary. They're just commuters. And yeah. It's just, yeah. And how she's going to have to exist in a whole new world in mm-hmm. which she, A, cannot interact with and yet 
be can if she so she and so on and so forth. Yeah. And of course, my neighbor Totoro, where uh, children literally children. I mean, in that movie, it's like a, a two year old and a five year old, so to speak. That film is incredible because it is it has absolutely no pretense of a plot whatsoever. It's just. It really it's literally about how children occupy themselves while their mom is suffering in the hospital. Yeah, like, and that ended up, and it never like I remember the first time I watched it, I was waiting for some big moment, like for the moment in which they get like call back to the hospital mm-hmm. to find out that their mom had died yeah. suddenly, or call back to the hospital to find out that everything is totally okay, mm-hmm. and you know, and and neither one of those moments it's it lands somewhere in between, right. But the movie never once spells out that their fantastical adventures are either A, something that's totally happen- mm-hmm. happening, because that's what happens in Miyazaki movies, or yeah. B, may just unfortunately be, uh, not unfortunately, but may just be a pragmatic way of a child processing the literal fantastical in their life, mm-hmm. which is an unexplainable illness or mm-hmm. whatnot. So this movie never had that kind of emotional hook for me. Right. But putting that aside, I thought it was very fun. Um, I thought from start to finish, I I thought it had really good pacing, even if I thought it was slightly overlong. Um, mm-hmm. The way we got from scene to scene, I'm usually the first person to zone out of these kind of fantasies about an hour in because uh, I, they just don't usually work for me. But that's a testament to uh, Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki in general because mm-hmm. for the most part, I was on board for just about every twist and turn and I gotta say the last half hour even if it's got a few problems that I have like yeah. the scarecrow and whatnot for the most part I actually thought the last half hour kind of improved the movie that I saw before hmm. um, with like for example the the scene in which she's floating through that door where like, yeah. she opened the door and I can't remember the exact uh, specific, but she's... And she goes back in time to see, yes. like... Um, yeah. and, and, like, that whole thing, at least there I thought the movie was at least tipping his hand that it was not just whimsy for the sake of whimsy, right. but that there... Uh, it was reminding the audience, and I think the character in general, mm-hmm. that um, there is a purpose for all this, and you may not know what it is at the start, but mm-hmm. um, if you continue to journey through it, uh, eventually you will be warded with answers, and even if those answers are not you know, good or pleasant, whatever, mm. that there's comfort in knowing that in general. So I uh, I thought this was right down the middle for uh, Miyazaki and animation in general. But yeah. uh, visually, it was fantastic. Right. And, um, yeah, if it, if it wasn't, that would be weird. Yeah. So. I'd say, yeah, a lot of your points, Nick, are very salient, very on the mark. I think that, personally, that this is um, upper mid-tier Miyazaki. I don't think this is one of his best works. It's definitely a work that I enjoy, but there are some parts of it that sort of don't necessarily gel with him. It doesn't have that same uh, emotional through line that really hooks me personally to sort of like attract this. Like I just, I enjoy the spectacle of this fable sort of like playing out and seeing this, this woman who has to sort of like cope with um, not an ailment, but sort of a, 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 a a a new lived experience and how she grows through that experience um, selectively in the case of like old age. I think it's there, there. There's a lot of stuff about this film that I'd like to talk about that is that goes into the making of it, not necessarily my opinion of it. Um, uh, one of the the things that I I like the most about it is that uh, Miyazaki has actually said, I think as 
as as early and late as like 2013 that this is actually like one of his favorite films if not his favorite film which is very interesting considering like all the films that he's made um just because it sort of serves as a commentary on um a very sympathetic uh portrayal of old age Especially in the case of like Sophie, it's like oh oh, it's really hard being like an older person. It's just like yeah. so just having a regard for that, but also saying is like they, like even though they may not be able to do things as ably as others, like they are still able to go on adventures and do things and to have a, have a, a self directed life of their own. Also, speaking of that, this feels like the inverse of a lot of his other movies, mm-hmm. in which I feel like for a long while he was doing Pixar before Pixar did it. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the idea of taking a children's emotion seriously. Right. And like you said earlier, not being condescending. Right. And so like, you know, like with Totoro and a few other movies, he always treated children with the same dignity that any adult filmmaker would treat their adults in the right. movies. And so here we, we get with the, the transformation itself, it's almost like working in reverse where he's like, he's told enough stories about how, you know, children need to be treated with respect, but also flips that on his head. He's and, relating that also to children and that. You know, the yeah. elderly also need to be treated with respect as well, too. Yeah. And there's so many things I, I like about this film, just visually. I love, first and foremost, the creation of Howl's actual moving castle, the namesake of it, because it's just one of the most bizarre. Like, he's, he's had this animation style that doesn't really crop up a lot. It's actually present in the the technical first um Studio Ghibli film uh, Castle in the Sky, where it almost has this stop motion, like Terry Gilliam esque, like Monty Python animated quality to yeah. it, where all these independent variables on the exterior of of the moving castle, um, you can tell that they are all these sort of like cobbled together mishmash like, like properties steampunk without a blueprint <laughs> yeah and, 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 I, and i just love how all those parts just like move independently of one another and yet they're all sort of like moving with a consciousness of like towards like a single yeah, but, objective but but they all have a purpose yeah too. they all have a purpose so, but in a purpose yeah. that it was also just like everybody on this earth yeah a, a pur- purpose that it was originally ancillary to their their Thank you from pur- purpose Catholic that is priest over here that is that is right here rogers in in in, in this case yeah. like it's it's probably Uh-oh. It is is one of my favorite inventions that he's ever created. Well, it led film. to some because when I was trying to make the poster for this, I had a hard time because it led to some f- fantastic posters. Not that <laughs> all of them were necessarily like made by Studio Ghibli, yeah. but um, some of the posters that are out there for this film are just fantastic. Yeah, there are. Yeah, um, there's a lot of really really great uh, fan fo- posters. It's, it's yeah. Uh, um, I, I think the idea of the actual moving castle. Uh, what I like about it is. This is a film called Howl's Moving Castle, but in a good way, I never feel like the castle is a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like it is just something that is always there that is like the, the through line throughout the entire film that all of the events happen surrounding this castle and <laughs> and that this is... The impossible interior and exterior properties of the of the castle. Well, and, and also, too, the idea that um, this is literally like slapping people in the face saying stop running away from your problems yeah um i think is is just magnificent to me mm-hmm. because that's probably my favorite part of the entire film is, is this idea of this 
hit you over the head metaphor, but at the same time doing it with this cool, bizarre, roguish, like wizard like character, like night, uh, nightmare before Christmas esque. Uh, creation of this castle that runs and has a face mm-hmm. and has arms and a tongue. It looks like a fish, but yeah. it's also got legs and it's got a tail and, and it's, it's also got like a what looks to be like a like a turret cannon on the top, but it's not a turret cannon. And, and it's like and one of the the best parts about Miyazaki and about this specific film is that there's basically no explanation of any of this, and that's what makes it so great. Yeah, you can you can pretty much like look at that and say is like that looks like something that. Uh, how with his personality would just see that he needed a place to live and to be able to run away from his problems that he would just cobble together whatever he had on hand and that just ended up being his house and it's just this ramshackle like uh, domicile that just picks up detritus wherever it goes yeah yeah, it's it's just such a such a, a great design and another thing that I really like about this film that I wanted to mention about the the production of it is something that I like and that I, I I at the same time doesn't necessarily work with me when I when I'm actually watching the film is sort of the the ideological bent that goes into like actually having made it because this film came out um, in 2004 three years after um, Spirited Away first came out right that's that was when Hayao Miyazaki earned the first Academy Award for animated feature for a Japanese animated film and he originally even though John Lasseter at the time who was one of the heads of, of Pixar like campaigned for it and it was a big hubbub huge cultural like, like, like John wa- Grabass uh, yeah I know it was like it was a watershed moment for anime um, and one of the reasons that catapulted his his name into uh, in, in into the the broader culture of like children's animated film. He actually was originally going to boycott accepting it because he was so adverse to the idea of the invasion of Iraq and the subsequent like war that took place after that. that like he's perfect. <laughs> See, he is a, a an ardent um, Roman Polanski's been boycotting the Oscars for thirty years. Yeah, it's true. I know, it's crazy. We don't write headlines about that. No, we we don't. We don't write headlines about that at all. Um Thank you for that addition. Yeah. Um <laughs> Miyazaki is a an ardent like anti-imperialist. No matter what people want to say about him, after yeah. seeing maybe a film like like The Wind, the Wind Rises, Rises, yeah, it, I remember when it, I haven't even seen that. yet. I've had arguments with people but about man, that. Man, there were a lot of hot takes that, that, that is, came after that. Movie. Yeah, like you are completely missing the forest for the trees, and that right. not actually seeing what what it is that Miyazaki actually sees in that from character. What I And I haven't even seen the movie. From, from everything We're going to watch read, it sometime. And I should, and yeah. I want to. Yeah. But everything I read about the plot synopsis, I'm yeah. like, isn't that Miyazaki admitting his own complicity? And not, not complicity, yeah. but as far as, because I'm assuming it right, just to make sure I have it right, right. but it centers around a character who's designing planes, mm-hmm. and then you find out at least the later. Designer, the, what is notable is that it is the designer, the life story of the designer of his favorite plane as a child. Okay. Yeah. And then toward at least the end of the movie, or at least mm-hmm. some point in the movie, mm-hmm. you find out that those planes were used in the war. Right. Which, just knowing what I know about Miyazaki, would feel like a very grown-up <laughs> like take on a childhood fantasy, which yeah. is that, unfortunately, it's 
there 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 is no there there is no such thing as some kind of infantile perfect fantasy in the mm. world and yeah. that all of How do the, you reconcile the love of a thing yes. with the the lineage it goes down Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I just you know, without even having seen it, mm-hmm. I just I see it as Miyazaki not admitting his complicity, but just saying that it, the, all these things are in no way inseparable, exactly, and, and himself included. Mm-hmm. Is basically, what I mean, and it's also sort of a parallel for his own career in that he only just wanted to make animated films. He never wanted to become yeah. Hayao Miyazaki. Right, you, right, right. Once you create a thing, it goes out there, and you don't have control over what it becomes anymore. Yep. You can only make the thing as best as you can. Yep. It's not. Think, think about it like Fight Club, which uh, I think we all agree is a good movie yeah. or even great. Yeah. But there's no denying that that movie was a, in some ways adopted, especially back then. Mm-hmm. Like not a lot of people talk about Fight Club these days. I think it, Fight Club has ended up becoming part of the the um, the seedbed of what we now know as the sort of like the men's rights yeah. uh, movement. But, but there's no denying that. There was an entire subset group of males yeah. who watched that movie and did and took did, it seriously did and did not, not partake in the last twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's I guess that's what I'm saying is that film. And that's the danger of satire, right? Because it plays it straight, right? I think that's the danger of not having educated people in your society. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. to, not not to tangentialize too far. I'm going to thread this needle back to where where I, where I started at thread it back. but when it comes to like watching fight clubs like I remember watching it when I was in high school and reading the book and really enjoying that and then watching it again as a junior or senior in in college and taking notes and be like this is a fucking cult yeah I mean I, I'll admit I'm not just even pointing out other people myself included mm-hmm. I watched it once in high school mm-hmm. well I watched yeah. it a million times in high school yeah and then Went like a decade without watching it and then watched it again as an adult. And um, it wasn't necessarily not a shock because I remember I, – I, I, I've heard enough about Fight Club mm-hmm. to remember it. But there's a there, there's a night and day difference between when you're just an impressionistic person, yeah. which is either due you're to just age experiencing or due for the first to time. a certain brain chemical. Right, right. Um, yeah, well, well I, I guess I was trying not to be – pejorative there so right. if i came off that way that's no not, no oh, no i'm really being my, pejorative oh yeah. i was gonna say yeah. that wasn't really my goal I that's guess, my goal well that's fine um <laughs> fight club is a film that takes on a different personality <laughs> after edward norton figures out what's going on yeah. Um, yeah and that's when the real film happens as opposed to the rest of the time, which is this... But some people can yes. watch that movie and just think that that's a clever twist and mm-hmm. not a ah. actual uh, a, defin- a defining quality yeah. of the actual... And not an awakening like, of the conscience. But that's yeah. more about those people than yeah. it does about the film. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I mean, it does. Yeah. So threading this back, yeah. um, the, the way that... Phantom um, threading it back. The, Way, we never get off track. On the this way movie. that Howl's Moving Castle acts as sort of a reaction of the director to sort of the entire spectacle of like the Iraq War yeah. during that time, just pointing out explicitly the the sort of obfuscation of why the war even is starting, and the fact that it is sort of waged at the 
at the hesitation of both sides and that it is inherently imbecilic to continue to wage that war for whatever reason. Um, I think that is is very interesting to see how like what what is the actual historical reference that like leads into that because once you know and you realize that I feel like it it works a lot more effectively than it does in a vacuum. You have to be sort of aware and cognizant yeah. of that, and I feel like that is a that is sort of a knock against the film. It doesn't really because the, the, these the the foreground and the background of this film, the foreground being Sophie and Hal's sort of budding like relationship to one another and the background being like this this perpetual war that is waged for whatever whatever reason they're never really sort of reconciled in a in a in a meaningful way that's it's hard for me to really connect those dots because when there's like a fight with with how actually engaging in sort of a war whatever side he's actually like waging against it seems like he's more of like fighting a a war at the at the at the cost of like pronouncing his own claim for personal existence than it is for any one side. Yeah. Um it's hard for me to sort of like eh, connect the two. Yeah, it's, as it's, far as how they sit side by side. Right. It's hard it's hard to see how they sit side by side and that's one of the reasons why I sort of like kind of got a knock against this film yeah. a little bit. It's like I have a good thing and a bad thing to say about that yeah. plot, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll do the bad thing first, which is not even that bad, but the joke I made to Alex uh, earlier when we were watching it, mm-hmm. which is that whenever we cut to the war scenes in which Hal is like flying through or whatever, I'm like, you know, this kind of reminds me that in your average Miyazaki film, which is not to say all of them, mm-hmm. but just your standard one, right. I always feel like Miyazaki films have two different kinds of scenes, which is there's the camp A in which a scene is this really wonderfully grounded take on fantasy in mm-hmm. which fantasy just exists the same way the mundane mm-hmm. exists yeah. and it's just super chill and whatever and then it's always cut to anime like yeah. it's got this you know whatever yeah. and so like the moment um uh howl is flying through whatever it's literally a cut to anime yeah and moment, then the yeah. moment he um goes back to the castle and he's taken off his boots I literally was like oh man it's just a, another long day of anime <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yes that is perfect that is that is such a perfect kind of how I feel when I watch this kind of movie yeah. because it's one of those things where it's like it is hard to reconcile yeah. how these two plots are in the same movie yeah it's funny because that. Oh, I was just gonna say that scene also equaled one of my other favorite lines of the film because he he has the comment about, oh, it doesn't matter if I can't yeah. be beautiful or something. It's it's something life is like not that. worth living. Life is yeah. not worth yeah. living if I'm not beautiful. Yeah, it's just like the most vain yeah. Yeah. hipster emo yeah. nonsense, and yeah. it's like this doesn't feel. Oh, it's an anime film. <laughs> yeah. I guess it does fit here. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say, which is a good thing, as to in my opinion, the disparity between these two through lines mm-hmm. is that maybe Miyazaki knows the one thing that we're all slowly catch, catching up to which is that maybe war is only realistically portrayed from a child's point of view like in media because you know you I think of all the adult portrayals and I think and I think of like Saving Private Ryan and just I'm just talking about like iconic portrayals of it is, it's usually, whether they're good or bad it's but, very myopic and it's yeah. always framed in a, this is the end all, be all, whatever. Yeah. But 
to a child and to what I would consider to most people even. Far away. It is this thing that usually is not affecting you on a day-to-day. We are, well, not affecting you when you are in the comfort zone of a imperialistic society. Mm. Um, And that's what I think is kind of being depicted here, which is that war has nothing on the fantasy that you can coexist with on a day-by-day basis because it is so far away from you that you don't have a frame of reference to contextualize any rhyme, reason, or uh, contextualization of how it happened, what's currently happening, and how it could possibly end. It it is just a thing that exists. And even the adults in this movie kind of act that way, too, because... um, It becomes sort sort of the part of the background noise of everyday life, and it becomes a... For the moments that it does actually interject into your lived existence that just becomes part of the the, normalcy of life. Yeah, I mean, I know the movie does interrupt... The flow with the like the bombings mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, I'm not saying it shies away from the the real life consequences right. of it. But when you have an adult literally who's in charge mm-hmm. say something like, "I guess we'll just end this war," because at the end of the day, like that is how a war can end. Like yeah. you think that like that's childish or that's fantastical, but that is actually what has to happen. Yeah, somebody and that's ha- all that has to somebody happen. has to just. Just say is like you know well, I dead. I wanna I I don't want to wake up tomorrow with my children dead. Do you want to yeah. have that? It's like nope. Okay, well then we got to figure this out. Yeah. So. Well, the more that was the well, I guess we're just gonna stop this, and I'm in power, so whatever. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about the climbing up the stairs scene because that was delightful with the old ladies? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Now that was a interesting because you have the one large now. Granted, she was Witch the, of the waste. villain character, but you have the large who is like literally a bathtub of sweat mm-hmm. um, as she's going up the stairs. What is it with Miyazaki and extremely cellulite eroded people? <laughs> um, I'm not like enti- Disney likes obese people too like you have your ursula you have your whatever But they have clean lines exactly like miyazaki clearly i think and i say this thinking that he's a wonderful person yeah yeah but i feel like like he has like a no fat chicks dating policy he's got he's got a there is something about the way that's something to say about a 75 year old like picks adopted patriarch of of, of japanese animation can we please Photoshop a T-shirt on a Miyazaki. Just says no fetch. <laughs> no, oh my like, god! I'm just saying because he never wow. depicts people. Um, just, just in take his face way- and Photoshop it onto like a male model that has that shirt on. Visually, he never depicts people of a certain weight class without being visually defined by that weight. Right? Class. They have to literally rest their neck upon three tires. I mean, Ugh. it is uh, yeah. it, it, about, it is something. How about the idea, though, of, of uh, Sophie carrying the dog up the, up the stairs? <laughs> but um, I, I find it very interesting because it, it kind of escaped me a little bit uh, at first, but as soon as the dog ran away and, like, caught its breath, breath uh, it was clear to me that she was uh, unknowingly – Choking the dog as she was carrying it up the oh, stairs, God, yeah. which is something an old pe- 
person would do. Sure. Because, because like, she's I've just trying to carry time. it. Every time my grandma picks up uh, my dog, the little one, mm-hmm. I always kind of like wince because now that dog is used to it. So it's like it knows what it's getting into because it really loves my grandma. So it yeah. wants to be picked up by my grandma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but that three seconds of her going down there that she can barely get down there and lifting it up to whatever. It's like a claw this, game. Yeah, it's this <laughs> moment of like – you got this, Niles. You, you just got to get up to the surface, and you'll be okay. Yeah. And and he is every time. But goddamn, uh, one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> well, but but she's like almost carrying it, like like she's yeah. she's holding the 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 dog in the uh, Heimlich. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's seriously. If if anybody out there has ever watched professional professional wrestling, mm-hmm. that dog is in the Scott Steiner Steiner recliner finishing <laughs> move. Because it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, Go it to is sleep. yeah. No, seriously though, I'm just waiting for her to like oh, put sunglasses and a chain hat on and, and just just totally. Yeah, brother. Oh my it's god, a different wrestler. I know, right but it was the only on, one man. I could think of. Oh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Oh, it was the only catchphrase I could think of. Although that that was actually weirdly more of a melding between Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man. Yeah, and that was <laughs> the weird thing, because I was thinking of the Macho Man, mm-hmm. but Brother was the only catchphrase I could <laughs> Anyways, do. I love that scene. I think that scene has no place in this film, but yet it's there, and it's just delightful. It's mm-hmm. yeah, so. a nice... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really serve a, a, a express, like, story-driven purpose, other than just as, like, a little vignette of... The, the struggle, the struggles, <laughs> the struggles of being old, yeah. the struggles of being old, and or also, or obese, and also playing off of um, these these two characters and their their honestly childish animosity towards one another. Uh no, I'm gonna have to disagree with you. That's there. fine. Yeah, I don't think that Sophie's animosity towards her is childish. She yeah. turned her into an that old is, woman. That is true. Yeah, that is true. I yeah. would be pretty bitter about that yeah. myself. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, a little bitter Betty over here. That's right. Yeah, you would be. <laughs> that whole scene, though, is is just delightful to me because, uh, A, uh, at least as a first-time viewer, you have the audience uh, who is just believing what they've been told, mm-hmm. that this dog is very well could be Howl, as he said he was going to be close. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also have the very... Um, I would say unusual moment uh, when the the witch gets brought into the room and then she almost all has her powers taken away and she uh-huh. just turns into this big blob. Yeah, uh, and it's just that whole scene is just very fantastical and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh it's interesting because but that's really where you find out about the actual like plot of the film and that's not till like an hour in so it's it's very it's it is very interesting weird. isn't yeah. it yeah yeah. yeah yeah so. Sorry, I just went off on that tangent. No, no, no it's no. a it's a good ch- tangent. Yeah, um, thank you. Let's see what else. Um, I mean, I think I've like gotten most of the the thoughts that yeah, I have. I mean, I, I, I don't think... think this is one of the most uh, comprehensive, not comprehensive, but in depth Miyazaki movie. Right. I think it's not to say that it's all on the surface, but it's all like I called it earlier, fabulistic, mm-hmm. which is that you're mostly so. Supposed to take surface pleasures from this incredibly vast uh, tale of fantasy and, and magic. Yeah, and I, I think what at least one interesting little tangent uh, about this is that originally Miyazaki was not even going to be directing this film. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, they had another director who was lined up. 
um, who had a proposal Martin for Scorsese. another another proposal that just didn't really come together. And eventually, like Miyazaki decided to just like seize the reins on it because he wanted to produce this film and just wanted to go through with it. And he just did it on his own. Uh, it was a Momoro Hosoda who has done films like The Boy and the Beast, uh, The Girl Who Left Through Time, Summer Wars, um, the original Digimon movie, which Summer Wars is sort of like an unofficial like remake of. Um, he's a gr- he's a good director. He's a great director um, in his own respects. Um, I don't think that he has made what, in my opinion, is like his best film. He has not yet made his best film, and I think it's more of like a a fault of sort of relying on his own indulgences rather than like really bringing those into, into, into line so that those elements actually serve each other best yeah. in the actual, actual films. Like there's definitely like the little tangents that just don't go anywhere and that don't really serve any sort of purpose in, in fleshing out the characters themselves. It just feels very, yeah. it feels very anime sometimes. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 this is a really, this is a good film. This is this is a really good film. And Are we it, going into final radio? Yeah. Do you, do you guys want me to go first? Yeah. And then Tucson can can end. So please, can, yeah. Because I think you probably have the most to say about yeah, it. Yeah. Go ahead. I guess. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a fan of Hayao Miyazaki, and I'll say this: someone who's not a huge fan of anime, mm-hmm. um, I, I've in various degrees enjoyed slash understood the uh, acclaim of the films I've seen. Mm-hmm. Even though it doesn't seem like people hold Ponyo in the same esteem as Spirited Away or even this film, uh, I still find that enjoyable, uh, and I I liked this film and Spirited Away. I I definitely am interested in seeing it again Mm -hmm. years later. Uh, But this one was very enjoyable for me uh, from start to finish. I very much enjoy the very erratic, odd choices, as, as Nick was pointing out to me, uh, of the dubs for the, for these is they seem to be very unsuspecting choices. Like the idea that you could have Lauren Bacall, Christian Bale and Billy Crystal all in the same room together just seems to not make sense. The yeah. Ghibli dub uh, casting process is easily you sh- they, lifetime should make a uh, original movie about how the <laughs> that fuck, department. How the fuck did Andy Dick get, get into a- I mean, he was big at that time, and and he wasn't, you know, who he is now. So yeah. it's like I get that, but it's it's just a group of people. Yeah, like it's it's not so much one person, but it's the idea that every cast features the weirdest pairings and and uh, ensembles ever. Yeah. Uh, and just start to finish, I thought this was was an enjoyable film to sit down and watch. Yeah. So although I don't think it's it's great or mm-hmm. even overly good um i thought this was a a very worthwhile film uh, and i will give it three out of five stars yeah Yeah. hey what's up i'm nick hey nick hey Hey. uh i also enjoyed this movie Mm -hmm. uh like i said earlier it's easily not one of my favorite miyazaki films um because i think that as much as i enjoy it uh from scene to scene and i very much love the uh, visuals and the uh, fantasy that's on display here. It never quite connected with me in a way that some of his other works have. Um, so, A, that's kind of a reflection not of itself, but but of also what I come to expect from Miyazaki as a uh, storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But B, I also think that this might be like like it's funny that you said earlier, Jusab, that this might be his favorite film of his mm-hmm. because it does seem like the most Miyazaki film that I've seen out of the few that I've seen, mm-hmm. which is to say that this feels like the one film that I've seen in which nobody told him no. <laughs> you know, like anything he thought of, and which all of these individual elements that are it, straight from his brain. That is likely to happen after you come off the success oh. of being the first like Academy Award winner Absolutely. for a Japanese animated film. And I wouldn't necessarily want someone to tell him no. Mm-hmm. But they just feel like nothing about this movie is self-conscious about what it wants to be and how it wants to be that but on a scene-by-scene basis. Um, so therefore, I find it a little messy. But I enjoy it. I think it's, uh, for me, it's three out of five because... It was my first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. So, man, two for two for us today of having the same rating on film. Yeah, as yeah. Well. maybe we'll keep up that streak. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. And honestly, even though I didn't like it as much as I liked the other previous Miyazaki films, it still makes me want to continue. I mean, I still have quite a few that not only have not seen but are on my shelf. Like mm-hmm. I have Princess Mononoke, Castle in the Sky, and I think Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah. And yet I still haven't watched them. Kiki's but, was actually the first film that I ever watched uh, of his when Kiki. I when um, I was a kid, yeah. and it didn't really like it, it didn't really gel for me because I feel like that is a film that is more explicitly targeted towards like young women. Yeah, in that in that regard, and I wasn't used to that as a kid. Right, right, right. Um, but now I'm sort of able to look at it and sort of like see it's like you know it's not it's not made for me right. with not made for me in mind. But I still am able to understand and, and empathize it. with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to watching more. So three out of five for me. Yeah, um, I would say that I really do enjoy this film. I don't think, again, I don't think this is one of Miyazaki's best. It's definitely a, a sort of mid tier effort. Um, that's not saying it's bad. I'm saying that with, with with respect to the continuum of his work, which collectively is better than a lot of other directors like yeah. entire careers ongoing right now i'm um, just like saying is like it's 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 good which is better than a lot of people's best yeah. so I, I i do want to to put forward that i do enjoy this film i just feel like there are a couple of like weak points when it comes to the reconciliation of these two different storylines that just doesn't always like come together for me um, I think I'm able to appreciate this film, at least from a historical context, because not only as, as I talked about with the aforementioned sort of like parallels to like real world history, um, it's also represents a film that it, it, it's a film where Miyazaki's uh, particular signatures as a director became sort of embedded within the cultural consciousness of what people think of not only of, of kind him of trademarked kind of kind of as of indicative of him but also indicative of what people find as as anime or as, as laud worthy anime like there are only there are to date only five japanese animated films that have ever won or or not been nominated for a for an academy award the first one was spirit away the second one was Howl's Moving Castle. The third was The Wind Rises. Um, the fourth was The Tale of Princess Kaguya by Aizawa Takahata, his final yeah, film, good movie. which is a very, very good film. And the last one, 
I believe was Big Hero Six. No, uh, when Marnie was there by Hiromasa Yonabayashi, and what ha- all of those have in common is that they were Japanese. Well, yes, but they are all produced by Studio Ghibli. So I think that that's one of the the things that a lot of anime fans take umbrage with is that people think and think they 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 see people who are non anime fans they 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 see a lot of non anime fans look at anime as These as as yeah. as he is the all encompassing anime person and, and yeah. that's a disservice to anime yeah, i mean the idea that studio ghibli is somehow a mark of quality which not to say that it it's not, isn't but it's like it's not the only quality anime that yeah. is out These there are not good because studio ghibli you know made them and they're only they're the only yeah because studio ghibli Knew what they were doing and yeah. knew who to hire, so to speak. Right. It's yeah. like the, they're not the only people who are yeah. making good anime films. It just so happens that this is the only. I mean, in th- movies this, like this, this is the Akira anime and right. Ghost Michelle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, exist completely outside of Ghibli. Right. Not just outside, but like you would never put any one of those movies or anything of its kind yeah. under a Ghibli uh, namesake because it goes against what they're mission is so to speak right and they they exist in their own historical context yeah. which are equally interesting to one another respective yeah. uh when when you just look at them individually it's just um people take umbrage with how much overexposure um Hayao Miyazaki has not only for the fact that he is not as active now in in contemporary anime as he was like during his heyday and the fact that there are other directors his out heyday there heyday or his Hayao day <laughs> that's very good. Thank I'm very you. proud of you. That's Thank actually you. a really good find. Um, and and you know, it's, at some point, I can understand and reciprocate a bit of that frustration that doesn't make these, these films any less special, any less special, and make them any less historically or aesthetically significant. So while I can express that frustration at the same time, I cannot actively choose to turn a blind eye to them, especially in the case if I was writing that list, yeah. uh, which is what a lot of people actually took umbrage with that all of Miyazaki's films were on that list and a lot of like Ghibli films were on that list too. And just like, I can't turn a blind eye to them because of how historically significant they are. I'm sorry. It's, it's like, kind of like when people tell me to my face that they think Citizen Kane is a boring movie and I just, every time they say that, I just like... <laughs> Yeah. That, was, that was me doing the jerk-off motion yeah. because it's like – it's not one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. But just because you have an opinion does not somehow bleed that's into not, the that's actual not. reality of how something fits in the fabric of everything that came after it and, and what it did in general. Right. So it was it like just, the, what's, what's interesting about Citizen Kane is not even the film itself. The film itself, if you were to watch it without – Having any sort of context as to its its significance, you'd be like, "What in the fuck was that? What are all these weird ass transitions that are going on?" Yeah. I I still find it entertaining, but I say. I think that it's far more interesting as a media artifact to understand just how all those techniques are coming to bear within within that one product. It's it's a lesson that 
is basically just because a good product has a great reputation mm-hmm. does not mean that the reputation itself is overblown. Yeah. It means you're missing the context to bridge the gap between what you're watching and how it became the thing that it is exactly. outside of itself. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Did you say the same kind of thing about The Godfather? Or? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that's also one of my films that I don't love but yet really enjoy. And mm-hmm. That's can, a film that is not one of my all-time favorites, but I give it five out of five. Yeah, I can yes. understand that. A really weird spot to be in, but mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's a masterpiece, and I would never put it in a top 50 or anything like and that. And it's, yeah. it's not even for the the representation, the reputation that precedes it. I just think that having watched it, is like even if it's not your it, it, even though it's not necessarily a barn burner of a film, it's got really exciting moments, but they're not like exciting yeah. by the contemporary context of how we think of them. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just very people... well made and paced and yeah. acted, and it's just very well framed. Like holy shit! It's Sometimes good. people yeah. confuse a denial for an appraisal. Yeah, you know, and and it's just that kind of critical bullshit yeah. for any medium that's insane. And mm. I think Studio Ghibli is somewhat falling prey to that mm. uh, these days, especially with the uh, with Miyazaki quote unquote retiring soon mm-hmm. and and what seems to be the end of a golden era for the company. Yeah, but in general, it's like no, those those, those two things can exist simultaneously. They right. can be imperfect movies. They can be movies you hate too. Mm-hmm. But the idea that they uh, are somehow beholden to your uh, shitty opinion with with Aizawa Takahata passing, um, who a lot of people do not know of, they they more. They more know of uh, Hayao Miyazaki as being a founder, the founder of, of Studio Ghibli, and not necessarily a founder of Studio Ghibli. I feel like that sort of signals sort of like the sun, the 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 sunset of one particular golden era of anime as how it entered into this sort of like globalized market. Um, and even people who know like Grave of the Fireflies mm-hmm. don't always know the name. Uh, of the director right like people people who write um eulogy posts or or, or remembrance posts for Aizawa Takahata and they're attaching a, a a clip of Nausicaa Valley of the Wind bro I cannot fucking help you yeah. I cannot help I cannot fucking help you if you won't even do your own fucking homework like like go, god help Bruh. you yeah I can't I can't I fucking can't even Bruh. with you right now <laughs> yeah ah, that's, that's like that's that's like 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 having uh robert de niro die and then listing off all al pacino's best films like what the fuck are you doing oh that's not the same person no they're not the same person well they've got a great acting career yeah, they but, unfortunately have been more intertwined recently. I was going to say, technically, <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked by that. Yeah, but I could still distinguish who oh, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, but uh, did you give your rating? I don't think I heard. Yeah, it. Sorry, man. Like going, oh, going still, okay. yeah, we'll going, get to that. Going back to it, um, I wasn't sure if you did or not. So to, gonna, to sort of like wrap things up, I think that this is a very well-made film. I would definitely recommend it, um, as I would for all of Miyazaki's films, to you know varying degrees of recommendation, like. Uh, like effusiveness in, in in my regard, I think you should watch all of them. Um, I would give this a three out of five. Wow, yeah. what a group! Yeah, I knew it was you, Fredo. Um, okay, so any opinions out there on Howl's Moving Castle? Keep them to yourself. Yep, or any other Hayao Miyazaki. I don't want to toss the 
whole uh, anime spectrum out there. But but any Miyazaki feelings, feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Or you could send them to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Yeah. Not, not really Instagram. At Film Tank Show. Next episode. One thing that's definitely good and one thing that's good for me, but not necessarily for you guys. So the thing that's good for everybody. Ha! Our friend Anna will be joining us again. Yay! Uh, to uh, have another discussion about a grand film, Deadpool 2. Oh! Which I'm interested to talk about and you guys aren't probably not as interested as me. Ah! So we'll be doing that on our next episode. Yeah. So from Nick Cheney to Son Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for catching up with us here at Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. 